fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. Hi, I'm Badrino. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about preemptive lawsuits, normally with my friend Vienno, but of course we are here with uh, Badrino. How are you, Badrino? I'm doing all right. How are you, Jody? I am sick. I d- <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, uh, Vienno is also sick. Vienno, uh, for those who don't know, has uh, COVID. So uh, it, we've been having this ongoing joke, which is that, you know, we're always like sort of struggling to like catch up. And like we had caught up and I was like, oh, like we've caught up. Everything's good. And Vienno was like, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. You're going to jinx it. And then like Vienno gets COVID and then the QP strike happened, which like <laughs> occupied a bunch of my time. And uh, and obviously Vienno, uh, their voices is messed up right now. But either way, so now we're like severely delayed, but, uh, you know, I jinxed it. So it's all my fault, you know? <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess before we get into it, since you are the guest, Petrito, why don't you, like, so you have other stuff that you do that you could tell our audience about, uh, you know, maybe, like, promote your Twitch channel and what you do over there? Sure. Um, a couple of years ago, I started a political podcast, which I don't really do anymore, but uh, in the past, I don't know, about four months, uh, I started streaming on Twitch doing different um, coverage of news, elections, different events, and things like that. And uh, yeah, recently I've just been trying to stream on Twitch and get used to it and find some different accounts and different people. And yeah. I know we started talking through like Twitter mostly, but I don't know how uh, how long the Twitter empire is going to last. I think I just saw that Elon was already thinking that Twitter's going to file for bankruptcy. So, you know, good news. Yeah, I'm not paying for uh, Twitter. If he <laughs> makes it where you have to pay for it, I'm not paying for it. No, I mean, I'm not even going to pay for the, whatever, $8 for your blue check mark or whatever. I, you know, I don't need, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't know that anyone needs it, but I specifically do not need it. That being said, though, we, we, this is probably going to be a shorter episode anyways, even though it's like we're going uh, back to the end of October <laughs> for for the episodes that we're going to be covering of Ezra. Most of it, I, I think, is evergreen uh, in the sense that we are going to talk about Ezra suing someone, which... <laughs> Which is something he does all the time, so we might as well just get right to it. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we are covering the week of October 24th to October 28th, and we will begin with the 24th. And if you've been following along, uh, especially the last few episodes, Ezra's been talking a lot about how they're going to all these quote-unquote like globalist conferences around the world. And so they had a team go to Berlin, which is where the WHO uh, was holding a health summit. They then had a team that they were sending to Buenos Aires in Argentina to cover some like 
global warming conference, but it was for like four municipal governments to go there and learn about how like climate change can affect like the lo local city as opposed to like globally. And now Ezra says they're going to send somebody to uh, cover this like Egypt summit. I guess there's a summit in Egypt to again address like climate change stuff. And he's like, we got a team going there as well. And, <laughs> and most of the coverage is all just like a promo reel to to play clips of all the stuff they did in these like faraway lands. Like he's selling like the, the exotic nature of it. Like we're going in all these mysterious places. And, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> the thing is, so when you talk about, like, the, he, he wants to distinguish, like, why they're doing this. Why are we covering these things? And, of course, he's like, we want to cover the globalist agenda because no one else in the mainstream press, you know, the media party, none of them are going to cover this globalist agenda. But as he's saying this, he is aware that, like, you're feeding into these anti-Semitic tropes about, like, Who's usually the head globalist? Uh, George Soros, right? Yeah, <laughs> George yeah. Soros, who happens to be... Jewish. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're feeding it to all of these sort of like lines, and then, but he's aware of this, so he plays a clip off of some like UK radio show where a guest was like talking about globalists, and then she said that's an anti-Semitic slur. So the clip I'm going to play is Ezra jumping off of playing this clip, but Ezra himself decides to tackle is globalist an anti-Semitic trope. So here we go. So criticizing the word globalist is incredibly offensive because it's a racist put down to Jews? What a wicked lie, a racist lie in itself. She's the bigot. She's the one with a preposterous insult that to criticize anti-democratic oligarchs is to naturally criticize Jews. That's a stereotypical prejudice. It would be as outrageous as telling someone not to talk about crime because that would be inherently anti-black. There are some globalist billionaires who are Jews and many who are not. Bill Gates is not. Jeffrey Bezos is not. George Soros was born a Jew but essentially renounced it and actually helped the Nazis round up Jews when he was a teenager in Hungary during the Second World War. I think he's a both a Jew and an anti-Semite, which is quite a trick, but calling him a globalist is not a reference to whatever vestige of Judaism he has. It's a reference to his belief that world governments and globalist organizations like his own can trump what mere local citizens want. The funny thing about this is George Soros actually has sued Ezra Levant before, uh, specifically because Ezra Levant, while writing a column for Sun, uh, the Toronto Sun, uh, called George Soros a Nazi and claimed that he was a Nazi collaborator and like did all this shit. And Soros sued the, the Sun and they ended up pulling the article and apologizing. And so it's like... The funny thing, too, is, like, there was, like, a couple episodes back, or maybe, like, it would have been, like, months ago, where he again, like, was, let's talk about the George Soros was a Nazi thing, and was a little more careful than he is here by saying, well, maybe he's not really a Nazi, but, like, he did say these weird things that suggested he might be collaborating, and yet here he just, like, full-blown calls, like, calls him a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of surprising i imagine there's less people watching uh his website now though than toronto sun stuff right the, the, the thing is like the audience might be more siloed 
like I still think Toronto Sun has a reach. Like mostly in terms of like old people who want to read like the pages for sports news and stuff like this. That yeah. I don't think that like Rebel News has that kind of reach. But they their audience might be larger. That's hard to figure out. I'm not even sure. That being said, like I mean I doubt like word is gonna to get to George Soros or George Soros is gonna waste his time with like another lawsuit. But like just to fill this in, like it is kind of pathetic because like what this comes from was like a 60 minutes interview with George Soros where George Soros talked about how like in Nazi or in occupied Hungary when the the Nazis uh came in, he worked with his uncle. He was hiding as someone who wasn't Jewish and worked with his uncle uh who was like sent to sort of like catalog like stolen Jewish property and stuff like this. And he was then asked by the interviewer on 60 Minutes where, whether he has, like, like should he feel guilt for that or whatever. And, like, he was like, I'm f I was 14 years old. Like, I had no idea. And I was, like, being persecuted. It's like, no, I don't have any guilt over that. Like, and, and so they take that to be, like, he was a Nazi sympathizer who worked with the Nazis and just... <laughs> But really, like, his family was, they were victims of the Holocaust. Like, it's just so, so fucked up. And forget, like, because here's the thing is, fuck George Soros. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I personally don't care about him. It's just like to make up shit about like a Holocaust survivor is also kind of, you know, we can make fun of the fact that he's a, a, a billionaire and, you know, screw billionaires. But like. Yeah, he survived the Holocaust. We don't have to, like, lie and claim that he was a secret Nazi or some shit. <laughs> Especially at 14, you know, <laughs> during the Holocaust. Like, it's just so fucked up. Those terms go, they always, they always use them hand in hand, though. Globalists and George Soros. Like, during the midterms, I tuned into uh, Alex Jones's broadcast for just, I wanted two minutes, I wanted to see what was going on. And within 30 seconds, he was talking about uh, George Soros and the globalists. And then he, uh, on Alex Jones's broadcast, it showed apparently like 355 billion people were viewing it live. Um, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> but it always comes back to that. Uh, globalists and George Soros, those two terms, they just, they always use them hand in hand. But even, like, if he wants to distance himself from, like, globalist being anti-Semitic, like, even the way he describes globalist there, it, like, fills in that tropes. Like, there's this secret cabal of, like, people, these elites, who just happen to be Jewish, that are, like, coordinating, like, everything and controlling things behind the scenes, right? And it's, like, that is that is what the trope is, right? <laughs> and And it's, like... It is true that I think that not everyone who uses the term globalist, that I do think they tend to be right wing, but some of them are not always thinking in their heads, ah, yes, what I mean by that is Jewish. It's just that like, it's, it's like the watered down version of like the protocols of the elders of Zion. And so it's like those people who are super anti-Semitic on the right wings knows they know what you're saying they know what you're really saying you know but everyone else is just like yeah those elites who work for the world economic forum and like <laughs> you know so it's like in a way it works as like a gateway drug to anti-semitism if that makes sense yeah yeah it does i mean there was another thing in that clip too there's so many weird things about that clip where he he was like <laughs> 
talking about like how like talking about crime is has something to do with being racist towards black people or something. <laughs> it's just like whatever, whatever, bud. Good, good for you. But here's like the other thing that's sad is so like their coverage of all these globalist conferences that they've been going to. This is like what it's been so far. So like when they so they they made a big deal about going to Ottawa to cover the Emergencies Act inquiry, and pretty much the only thing we've got out of that so far is that one of the lawyers for the witnesses pushed them out of the way as they were harassing one of the witnesses and they were like we were assaulted then when they <laughs> went to <laughs> when they went to berlin uh tedros the like the head of the who put his arm around tamara ugolini one of the reporters and they were like he groped her <laughs> <laughs> and now now in this episode this is all he says about the buenos aires conference that he just went to was that they refused to allow them in to ask questions and so it's like even though they're spending all this money and sending their people all over the world for these conferences when they get there it's all just like how can we get some sort of like footage where they look bad rather than like dealing with anything to do with this quote-unquote like global agenda whatever that happens to be it's wild to me like how much money they must be uh they must have to be sending people across the world like yeah and where is it like here's the, they don't get enough views to, like they really don't get exactly. enough views to, <laughs> to do i remember this. you mentioned that in an earlier episode that like the amount of views they have and the amount of people who tune into it doesn't add up with the amount of like the production quality and the amount of reporters they have and like it, it just doesn't add up there's something seriously fishy going on i mean it's quite possible like the one aspect of this that i don't have any information is people who subscribe to like rebel news plus to get like uh the video versions of the podcast and stuff like this they, they could possibly especially during the pandemic have picked up a lot of people there but then it's like still to like fly all over the place. I mean, this is probably also why they have they're constantly fundraising off of those like websites they create. Uh, you know, go go to saverebelnews.com, www.say and like get people to donate uh, so that they can afford all these things. Uh, but yeah, it just like it doesn't I you know, I wish I could have access to their financials cuz like it it doesn't feel like it adds up, you know. Yeah. Someone wanted to leak them to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the end of the, the main segment there. He then interviews uh, a rebel employee because like any good rebel news segment, you got to interview your other employees. And uh, it's about, I guess, Selena is based in Alberta and she's on to talk about Danielle Smith. And I guess the, the thing to talk about Daniel Smith at this point was, I guess, Daniel Smith apologized for how unvaxxed people were treated during the pandemic <laughs> and uh honestly i have i have nothing to say to that <laughs> good for you danielle smith you did it <laughs> before we get into the the main thing that we're going to talk about which is the lawsuit ezra does in the mailbag segment address a letter so like at the end of each show they have like a mailbag segment and i guess last week somebody wrote in about or, or not someone didn't write in but like last week they talked about the oakville teacher 
And we will get more of that in this episode as well, because this is going to be the never-ending story about that teacher with big boobs. But <laughs> we, <laughs> they get a letter about it, and it's coming from someone who's trying to say, like, oh, yeah, all faiths don't like this sex ed stuff. And this is how Ezra sort of responds to that. Hey, welcome back. Your letters, Bill Cox says... Uh, Christians and Muslims may not see the eye to eye on many things. On this, however, I think both groups agree this transgender and homosexuality stuff does not belong in the public school system at all. If a child is confused about anything, that child should be talking with the parents and no one else. Well, I think that's my biggest beef here is heterosexual or homosexual or transgender or whatever. Why are you talking to children of tender years? Why are you talking to grade schoolers, to grade one kids? Why are you of any sexuality? It's just bizarre, and it is so close to pedophilia in my mind. Like, he lit like I love how they've moved just past, like, the trans panic stuff to, like, the mere teaching of LGBTQ stuff at all to children is, like, like, close to pedophilia in his mind. What pisses me off, and this is why I joke and I say that we should ban straight marriage, and I see people's reaction, and they're like, oh, that sounds insane, but it's like... Well, that's how ridiculous it sounds to ban gay marriage, because when I was a kid, so many people shoved heterosexuality down my throat. You know what I mean? If, if I was a kid in kindergarten, I was talking to a girl or something, a teacher or another parent would be like, ooh, is that your girlfriend? Like, so many people always reinforce that. And all the media I consumed growing up only ever showed heterosexual people. It didn't even really give the opening or the possibility of bisexuality or being gay or being trans. So that's what I find so funny about this panic that this moral panic they've started is like, it's really the opposite. It's, it's children are being indoctrinated with heterosexuality. That's what's being crammed down your throat and showing at every single thing you do. They don't show, um, you know, like, alternatives maybe it's a little bit different now maybe there's a little bit more diversity for younger kids than when i was growing up but but then that's what they're pushing back against you know just that yeah. little bit of like because it's not like what they're showing these kids is like here is a penis being inserted into an anus or like anything like descriptive like that it's simply like here is a couple who just happens to be gay or here is a trans person who just happens to be living their life and for them, that's like a, an assault that like to them, that's on a level of like you're being perverted and teaching our kids pedophilia or, or like it's close to pedophilia because now you're teaching kids something to do with sexuality. Meanwhile, the background noise, as you're kind of describing it, of just heterosexuality, like in a sense, it's not even that like heterosexuality necessarily is being like shoved down your throat, but it's like. It's just there and it's accepted as part of our culture, right? Like there's a princess and a prince in like these storybooks or like the characters kiss and like all that's fine. But if it happens to be uh, two people of the same sex that kiss, oh, whoa, now you're bringing sexuality into it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, it's like, again, like maybe if you were actually like exposing children to like the kind of descriptive sexuality as I was describing, like literal penis, uh, vagina, butt, sex, all that fun stuff, then okay, maybe you have a point. But that's not what they're teaching little kids. That's <laughs> well, and that's the thing, though. It's like when I was a kid, so often um, a teacher would show a movie or someone would show a movie and like 
there was always like some kind of heterosexual content. That's what, like, if anything, to me, it's the complete opposite of what they're saying. That like a teacher would put on a PG thirteen movie and they'd forget that there was a scene where there's like a couple people making out and touching each other or something, right? Like that's happened to me before um, when I was a kid in school. And like, but they don't have an issue with that. They just have the issue with the existence of LGBTQ plus people, which it's it's so weird to me because I, I remember on TikTok, I found this couple, um, there was a gay couple, these two guys who were like, I think they were about 60. And it was such a weird thing for me to see that because I'm like, I've never seen an older gay person before. Like I've never <laughs> seen an old gay couple who is married and owns a home and likes each other and who are like almost at retirement age. I've never seen that before. And it was so... It was, it was just, it's it's unfortunate in the sense that, like, LGBTQ plus culture just almost doesn't exist. And anytime you try the slightest little thing that there's there's just two gay parents or something, there's just such a massive backlash from it um, that we can't even have that. We can't even have that little bit of culture. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to disagree with there. I mean, like, yeah, and like, we're gonna get to it uh, once the next segment's done too, because they're gonna talk a bit about the uh, then upcoming midterm election uh, and about wokeness. But yeah, it's it's the the never ending reaction. I mean, the reactionaries. This is this is what they do. But we will get back to some of that. But first, we gotta go into the lawsuit. So we now have moved to October twenty fifth, and. I guess to set this up, because people will be familiar with this story because we covered it only a couple weeks ago, but uh, back in September, there was a story regarding a Calgary professor named Jean-Christophe Boucher, and at the time we covered it because uh, Jean-Christophe filed a intent to sue Rebel News and Ezra Levant for defamation. And this was because Ezra essentially stated that Jean Christophe's research was directly influenced by Trudeau, claiming that, like, specifically claiming that uh, Boucher was on Trudeau's payroll. And then, <laughs> uh, after he published a, an article uh, on this, like, the research that he was doing, Ezra claims that uh, that Jean Christophe, uh, Christophe. Uh, alleged that they were Russian agents in this article. Like, he called us Russian agents, right? And that was kind of like his his main thing was this uh, this paper, research paper that was done on Russian disinformation actually labeled Rebel News Russian agents. And so how, how dare he? He must be on Trudeau's payroll kind of thing. And the only evidence that I could find back then when Ezra was making these claims that that this guy was associated with Trudeau in any capacity was that he received some funding from the Department of Defense for his research. And of course, as we discussed back then, it's like receiving some Department of Defense money through a grant isn't really like Trudeau personally giving you directions for what to do. Uh, even though it's like, are are they biased? Like they probably wouldn't have gotten this information if they were going to be like biased against the Department of Defense. <laughs> but like i don't think it's like trudeau personally directing what this guy's like research is doing right the other thing is that the article in no way called rebel news russian agents what the i mean the article was like 
can be misleading in some sense that we'll get to in a second. But like the main claim was that they they talked about misinformation generally and about Russian disinformation and then looked at ca- accounts that were spreading what they uh, talked about as like pro-Russian narratives. So they found a bunch of Twitter accounts that were saying things that were uh, pro-Russia at the start of the, the Ukraine war. And what they found was when you take all those accounts that were talking about this pro-Russian uh, narratives, there was like five main narratives utilized by these accounts. And then they ranked them by like using this like uh, network to see like how connected they are to other accounts and stuff like to see how this information would spread. Now, what's confusing sort of about the article is like since it was framed in terms of misinformation, I guess like the implication you can derive is that these five main narratives are themselves misinformation. And that almost makes it sounds like they were directly crafted by Russia, even though like the article itself doesn't like stipulate that. It's just that like these pro-Russian narratives surrounded these topics. So like one of them had to do with talking about how Ukraine is a proxy war between NATO and Russia. Uh, and and the thing is, I think there's there can be ways in which yes, of course, like NATO is involved. I might slightly agree that like it's not directly to do with NATO being involved. Like, so there's there's ways to parse it out that I don't think the paper sufficiently dealt with that nuance. Although there is ways that I can see why the five main narratives are themselves. Uh, misinformation so i like i don't i don't necessarily think they're wrong i just think that the confusing part of the paper is that they didn't explicitly get into why these narratives are themselves disinformation and i think there is some there can be disagreements against those that being said the paper didn't directly claim that that's what was happening here they're just like here's the five narratives that these people hit upon (laughs) you know now for all that background okay so Jean Christophe, he fires an he files an intent to sue, and it's not clear to me that he actually has sued. And based on things that Ezra says, it doesn't sound like he's sued yet. But Ezra has decided that he's going to preemptively sue him, uh, because Jean Christophe, in fact, defamed him. You see? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, and so I guess I will just play. So, and it's not just Jean Christophe that Ezra is suing. He's also suing the University of Calgary for publishing this article that Jean Christophe wrote. And then he's also uh, suing CT, well, he's suing Bell Media, but it's mainly for a CTV, I want to say Halifax segment, because Jean Christophe did an interview for CTV Halifax. Uh, so he, and we'll get into what specifically he wants to to sue there but that's who he's suing and so i will play this is uh ezra's introduction to basically everything that i just laid out i'm suing justin trudeau's disinformation czar i filed the lawsuit in court in calgary you can see it for yourself at saverebelnews.com please go there because this is a real david versus goliath fight and i need your help I'll go through the lawsuit with you in a moment, but first a bit of background. 
Last month, I told you about Trudeau's newest tactic to censor rebel news. Trudeau's disinformation czar, a University of Calgary professor named Jean-Christophe Boucher, he threatened to sue us. Using the University of Calgary's lawyer, he sent me a legal notice of intention to bring a lawsuit against us. You can see that threat letter for yourself at SaveRebelNews.com. Boucher threatened to sue us because we dared to challenge his smear of rebel news. See, he had the University of Calgary publish a study paid for by Trudeau's liberal government that claims to look for Russian propagandists active on Twitter in Canada. And Boucher's report says you may be a Russian agent if you're, and I quote, promoting a specific mistrust of Canada's liberal government and especially of Prime Minister Trudeau. Seriously, but distrusting Trudeau doesn't make you a Russian agent. That's a McCarthyist conspiracy theory. I thought this guy was supposed to be against conspiracy theories. Distrusting Trudeau only makes you a Canadian who's expressing your constitutionally protected political opinion. We're allowed to distrust any politician of any party. Most Canadians don't trust Trudeau. Only 32% voted for him in the last election. You simply can't call anyone who doesn't like Trudeau a Russian agent. But this Boucher, who receives massive grants from Trudeau to do this kind of thing, he went on CTV News and actually said that Rebel News was one of the worst misinformation outlets in Canada. What? Not only is that not true, that's not even what his own report said. So we'll get to the CTV thing in a, in a bit, uh, since we, we will get to the specifics of what that part of his lawsuit is. But like, notice... Like, he's calling this guy Trudeau's disinformation czar. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all he did was receive a grant from the Department of Defense to study the spread of misinformation. So it's like, part of me is like, I, like defamation is such a weird thing. This guy is a, a public professor. But it's like, there is an extent to what which, like, calling this guy a dif disinformation czar who works for the Trudeau government when he's works at a public university doing research that really does defame him in that it like makes it so it's like you can't trust any research this guy does. He's like a paid lackey for the government or something. Right. And so I actually think that Ezra, like I understand why Jean Christophe initially filed the intent to sue Ezra because that does seem defamatory, doesn't it? Especially if you're doing academic research and it's um, like, I, I'm not sure if this one specifically, I don't remember if it was peer reviewed or not, but um, especially if you're doing academic research. Oh yeah. I was just going to say like, in terms of that, it's the journal that this was published in is affiliated with the university of Calgary. It's for their public policy Institute. And the thing that I, like, it says that the journal is peer reviewed, but it also said, like, the paper itself was in this section that was called, like, policy briefs. And so it, was, mm. it wasn't, like, an actual, like, journal article. It was, like, a brief on, like, research they were doing. So, like, if anything, it's, like, it, it reminds me more of, like, a preliminary thing. Or, like, uh, you know when, like, you're at a university and they, they have, like, poster board uh, con conferences where everyone gets to see, like, mm. the poster boards of, like, the research they're working on? So it's like Ezra is really likes to push that this is not a peer reviewed thing. And I can see it's possible that it is in that it would like 
even some of those poster board things, like they get like reviewed, like not as rigorously, but like it could have gone through some process of peer review. But like, even if it doesn't, like I, I don't know. It's just, it was just a brief statement of the research. <laughs> yeah, like I could I could speak about this like specifically because I did do some policy briefs in university as a part of my um, political science degree, and yeah, they're they're usually short and usually. I think it depends on like what the intent might be on whether it's typically peer reviewed or not. But to, it, to me, it wouldn't surprise me if something was small like this, if no one peer reviewed it and that would be the norm, but even still, it's still an academic, um, it's still an academic piece of writing. It's not a piece of writing that's being put in like a newspaper or something like it's held to a certain standard. So for him to, for Ezra to act like this is just some complete, something that's not being held to standards at all um that's just false <laughs> yeah i mean like and and if this ever like went anywhere i i feel like it's just going to get thrown out or or something's going to happen but like if it went anywhere like all they're going to find is like yeah here's the work that we did to come to our conclusions <laughs> like <laughs> you know Unless they're, like, completely fraudulent, but I, I, I highly doubt that. Like, they probably, like, here's the algorithm we use to trawl through Twitter to, like, like you know. It, it's not even, like, the research that they did involves too much. Like, it, like, not to downplay what they're doing. It's just, like, you came up with some sort of algorithm to troll Twitter to figure out what pro-Russian narratives were and then collected them and then built, like, a, a network, you know, of all these, like, accounts. Well, that's the thing too with misinformation like you can study it it could be liberal misinformation you could i could look at twitter and look at like hey there's a bunch of liberal accounts that keep talking about jurisdiction in a way that's not reflective of how politics actually works in canada you could look at misinformation through a lot of different lenses it's, but he's taking like ezra's taking it this way and and really really going with it that like that's the thing with misinformation like i've studied this before like it typically tends to be right wing that's just majority of misinformation online typically tends to be right wing that's now there's all kinds of misinformation but especially with this kind of stuff it usually typically tends to be pushed by right wing alternative media news outlets we'll get to it in a bit but like part of what bugs me about his lawsuit is he's really like claiming he's defamed because rebel news was called misinformation or a spreader of misinformation and like you know i take that as an attack of what we do here at Imperial news. <laughs> you know but then there's like there's the broader thing here which is like notice how he sets that sets it up on his show in the clip that i just played you which is like they called us russian agents right they're calling us russian agents now I knew as soon as I had heard this that and having read done done the work before having read the report that nowhere in the paper does it say these people are Russian agents right because you can imagine if you're just someone online you just start liking accounts that like the pro-Russian narratives and then now you're in the nodes spreading the pro-Russian narratives and you didn't need to be a Russian agent to do that right and so it's like Nothing about the paper suggests that anyone involved in these networks somehow got a paycheck from Russia. And he was talking about specifically a distrust of 
Trudeau. And I remember looking at this before because I remember listening to um your episode before when you mentioned this. Like the way the guy in the article mentioned it, he didn't say, oh, anyone who has any kind of distrust from Trudeau is a Russian agent. There is a specific type of people like there's a difference between not liking Trudeau because you don't like some of his policies or you don't trust him because he fell through on his policy to change our voting system. There's a difference between that and then not trusting him because Trudeau is Castro's son and he's a communist <laughs> agent. Like there's a huge difference between those two. And I think there needs to like from what I remember, this article did have some nuance with it. They didn't just say, oh, anyone who doesn't like Trudeau is a Russian. The way that Ezra phrased it, it no, definitely I... did not. Like you couldn't publish that in academia either. You like I don't think a journal would if you wrote that in a journal, I don't think a journal would let you say that. Well, it's pathetic, too, because he did it in this clip and they did this in their actual lawsuit itself, which is notice how he quotes this thing talking about a specific mistrust of Trudeau. And that's because this was like at the beginning of the brief where they list here's the five main narratives and one of the narratives in point form was listed as specific mistrust but then when you got into like the body of the work they actually explain what the specific mistrust is and it's that like it's not just that you distrust trudeau it's that you think that he's specifically lying about things to push his foreign policy in the ukraine right now there is, I mean, it's a subtle difference, but it is a difference because it's like you could just have a general. I don't trust Trudeau for a lot of reasons. I like to think that the reasons I distrust, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that are out there that we should like when it, well, all the SNC Lavalin stuff, you know, like <laughs> there's tons of stuff that he's done that we know is uh, suspicious and we have evidence for it. When it comes to the Ukraine stuff, like part part of why I think that it actually works as like misinformation is that like I don't think Trudeau has to lie about anything when it comes to Ukraine in some sense, right? Like Russia invaded and it gave them the pretext to sell weapons to the Ukrainians. Like, what, <laughs> like whether you agree with that or not, like I don't think that Trudeau needs to lie about it to like push some sort of narrative, you know? I mean, but here's here's the thing that gets to me. Okay, so. Yes, all, all of what we spelled out is true about what this paper is doing and why the paper doesn't call people Russian agents and why it doesn't say this about Trudeau. And this Ezra's just reiterating it here in this episode. But then I'm like, if the paper itself doesn't even say Russian agent in it, how can they sue them for calling him a Russian agent? <laughs> so the first thing that I thought of was, okay, well, let's look at the lawsuit and see what they say. Because they're not... If, if you're a lawyer, you're not actually going to just lie in, in your lawsuit, right? And of course they don't. But then think about this. Ezra's going on his show and speaking to his audience, telling them that this paper called him a Russian agent, and that's why he's suing them. And he's spreading that misinformation <laughs> all while his lawyers are filing this lawsuit and never bring up the Russian agent claim. Like, think about how, like, and he's saying that, like, they're, they're saying that I'm the number one spreader of misinformation. And here he is spreading misinformation while fucking doing this. That's the best part about this, too, that there's no, like, there's no group of people that are more, that is more litigious than right-wing people when it comes to freedom of speech. Like, but the vast majority of lawsuits I see in public, especially with relation to political commentators or whatever... It's always right-wing people usually um, suing whoever in general. Like, 
for people who are so freedom and like who believe in freedom of speech, um, they will just do the most frivolous bullshit lawsuits like Ezra's doing. But anytime there is an odd occasional lawsuit against someone who is right wing, it's usually for a very good reason. Like Alex Jones, like he lied about something and got people so hyped up. They were harassing the families of people who lost their children to school, uh, school shooting. And in that case, that actually is a case where you should, there should be defamation lawsuits. There's that is one of the examples where that should happen. But, um, (laughs) The, the amount of right-wing lawsuits I see, uh, like, like kind of like what you're talking about with Ezra, um, that are just so frivolous and so far out there that don't make sense. They're not grounded in reality, and it's just a reason for them to fundraise half the time. It's really funny for people who claim to be pro-free speech. Yeah, and especially because like what, what he's suing is this article claimed that Rebel News was one of the nodes in this network spreading pro-Russian narratives. That's all the article said, <laughs> right? And so it's like, that's what Ezra is suing them for because they did research and found that, yes, Rebel News tweets were also tweeting these narratives and sharing them with people or retweeting other tweets that were talking about these narratives. So it's like, to me, it's like, that's, if you can't just state factually what's occurring, and here's the thing is, listening to this show, I like I don't have uh, Ezra on Twitter anymore because he blocked me. Okay, but listening to the show when I read the the journal article or brief or whatever it is, I've heard Ezra on the show say every single one of those five points. <laughs> He's spreading these narratives, right? And like, of course, like you know, I, I think people know where I stand on the Ukraine conflict and whatnot. I think there there can be disagreements on the subtle subtleties, right? But like. You can't deny that you that Ezra was spreading those five main points, right? Like, like I don't know. It's just so silly. One thing I'll just say is that um, last thing I'll say about that is I think there is a certain element of this too, where certain very far right people, I call it like kind of like the politics of opposition. You always have to take the opposite opinion of what mainstream is. So in so many, you always see opposition parties do that where. They won't even have a coherent narrative. They'll just always be against. It's like Pierre Poliev talking about um, children's medicine on shelves. He doesn't give a shit about that, but he's only talking about that because he can score points right now because it's very hard to get medicine for children right now. And I see that with Rebel News specifically and Ezra is that I'm not sure. I don't know enough about his background and like what his beliefs are on foreign policy and things like that, but it helps be, to take a position against Trudeau because he can't take Ukraine's side because if he does, then he's agreeing with Trudeau. Same thing with Maxine Bernier, same thing with Tucker Carlson. Like, none of those people have a coherent form policy. They just like taking the opposite of what's mainstream at the time so they can say the Democrats are bad, Trudeau is bad, I disagree with them. And I think that's a big thing too with this misinformation stuff is it's like, he's doing that and it's going into some of these narratives and things like that and this other forms of misinformation because it looks good for him because he can say, I'm against Trudeau, I'm against uh, the mainstream here. That's definitely part of it. I mean, he's been playing this tricky game with the whole, like, uh, Russia-Ukraine thing because he always loves to pull out this card about how anti-Putin he is because of ethical oil. And uh, that's, like, his main uh, Trump card that he always brings out. But then it's like, and yet, 
throughout his coverage of this conflict, he's mostly like put out points that are like in some sense pro Russia, right? And so it's like this weird. He he constantly likes to talk about how anti the war he is because Russia did a bad thing, and yet everything that he says seems to be on the pro Russian side. Specifically, I think in terms of the sort of like oppositional nature that you're pointing out. And that, and that gets to something that the paper was describing that I didn't fully flesh out uh, until recently, which is that they had a camp of what they talked about as like Russian influenced networks and then like American influenced networks about these pro-Russian narratives. And Ezra was in the, the American influence network. And I think part of that is because like Ezra was spreading information that was coming directly from people who were taking an oppositional stance to Joe Biden's position in Ukraine. Where the Russians' uh, influence network was like uh, accounts like Gray Zone, who were like retweeting Russia Today and stuff like this, right? So there was like there there are two different ways in which this plays out, which I feel like the the Russian influence stuff is closer to Putin <laughs> in some respects, and Ezra wasn't even in that network, so it is funny. Like even the paper was sort of distinguishing these and like made him less of a Russian agent in that that respect you know but i will say so in terms of him being a russian agent uh or or not him being a russian agent but like how the lawyers uh respond how what are the so then if he isn't a russian if the paper never calls him a russian agent what are the lawyers claiming is the defamation so i have here what the actual lawsuit says so i'll just read it here which is that it says the study, referring to the study by Boucher, alleges falsely, directly, or by way of innuendo that Levant and Rebel News, A, spread pro-Russian disinformation, B, are heavily influenced by U.S. influence and Russia-influenced Twitter accounts which spread pro-Russian propaganda, C, are among the most influential Canadian-based Twitter accounts spreading pro-Russian narratives, and D, Propagate misleading information which legitimize the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the main reason I wanted to read that was because, like, notice how not once did the the actual lawyers filing the lawsuit mentioned that this paper called him a Russian agent. So, uh, so there you have it. <laughs> but then I also wanted to highlight one other passage in the in the lawsuit, which is that ironically they end up repeating one of the five main narratives and they use it as a defense. Okay, so this. <laughs> This is what they write. So this is, quote, what they said. The study was funded by the Canadian government through the Department of Defense. The Canadian government and, by extension, the Department of Defense is a NATO ally with keen interest in ensuring a specific narrative about the conflict between Ukraine and Russia is communicated widely to the Canadian public. The study supports that interest by defining contrary viewpoints as pro-Russian disinformation. So I read this and I go, in other words, the Trudeau government is specifically lying about the war in order to further their own political goals. <laughs> so in their lawsuit, they, <laughs> they're doing the thing. <laughs> right? Like how- Lawyers are wild. Because <laughs> how else do you read that? Like what he's saying is like NATO specifically wants to, sp NATO and the Canadian government, they want to push this one like thing. So they use the Department of Defense to fund this guy to confuse people because now they're, they're deceptively trying to frame 
contrary views as being pro-Russian when they were just contrary, right? So they're they're nefariously doing this thing. So they're lying to you to further their political goals in the war. <laughs> the thing is, is, if Trudeau was going to do that, he wouldn't be funding um, a professor to write a political journal that no one's going to read. Right? Like how many people are going to... No one reads political journals. Whenever I look at them, there's like... 20 views maybe uh, like on a more popular one sometimes depending on what it is but like if trudeau was going to do this he would use the media he would he would you would do op-eds you would do things like that you wouldn't get some academic no one cares what some professor says like <laughs> i it's it's so it's such a niche thing to do they they listed in the lawsuit itself a tweet by the policy institute that published this brief in order to show that like because some of the language in the tweet said something like we're under attack by misinformation or something so they were saying that this implies that rebel news is like a russian agent or something uh this is sort of what they were getting at like it implies that like you know they're like hackers or something they, they did some weird stuff but then when i clicked the tweet because they have the hyperlinks so I'm like, I'm curious. Let's see this tweet by the Policy uh, Institute by by the University of Calgary. And the tweet itself, as of November 10th, it was tweeted all the way back in June. It had nine likes. <laughs> <laughs> and like the only reason we're covering this, when when, when he first told this story, we literally like just was like, oh, he said this, I don't care, moved on. We didn't look into it at all. It wasn't until he like did multiple episodes defaming this guy. And then like, that's the only reason we're talking about it. Otherwise, who who would it care about this at all? And and this is a part of another trend that to me is pretty worrying is like the targeting of academics by like right wing media, especially with um with the regards to people who if people do something um like LGBTQ plus studies or gender studies and things like that, especially subjects that are more, um, I guess, like not normative work they do, like especially things where people take an opinion sometimes when they publish an article or do something like that. And the way that right-wing media it will target and attack and um, dox and threaten people um, for just writing something that's an academic thing published in a journal it, it it is really concerning um and then but they never do that to like you know the fraser institute or um you know those fake uh wannabe academic uh, right-wing think tanks it, that never happens to them um but to me this is a part of like a bigger trend too where uh right-wing people are attacking they'll single out like one um academic who writes something and they'll bring so much a massive amount it's like the other day with that uh, uh, that Starbucks worker who complained about their shift, they had a shitty shift and yeah. it made national news that someone was having a bad day at Starbucks. Like I went there the other day, those people are making like a hundred drinks an hour. It's insane how quickly they're working. And the fact that someone complained that they had a rough day at work and that made national news and were seen by probably hundreds of millions of people. Um, the way that it's, it's really scary, quite frankly, how, um, the right wing information network, how they'll take and isolate people. And I'm, I don't know if this, um, the, the guy who published this article got any threats or anything from this, but I guarantee you, he probably got some like angry DMS or angry 
emails like i see that happen all the time they try and get people fired they they they'll do anything well now that they're suing him like they're ramping it up and like yeah it's it's not going to get better for this guy to to a certain extent but then it's like think about what he's doing here like they're literally suing him for, as an academic for pointing out that certain people were spreading this information like that's kind of fucked like Imagine suing people for criticism in an academic setting. Like, that's so fucked up and so silencing. Like, just on so many levels, it's, it's, it's fucked up. But as we go, so in the lawsuit itself, they defend themselves by saying that uh, the reason why Boucher wrote this paper is because Boucher actually has it out for Ezra and like tweeted out that like as like rebel news should go away and stuff like this and so therefore boucher has it out and wants to destroy rebel news that's why he did this paper it has nothing to do with the academic work in it he just wants to destroy us and then uh they also claim that trudeau the trudeau government uh, wants to destroy them as well and they cited as evidence the fact that they were denied entry into the uh the leadership debates when that was happening and uh the claim there is, I guess, like, this is retribution from Trudeau. Like, Trudeau reached out to this academic to make Rebel News look bad because it's revenge for them winning the uh, <laughs> winning the legal battle to get to ask questions during the debates. Like, the, the fact that this is even in a lawsuit is just depressing. The, so the last, the last offense is, of course, he can't be spreading pro-russian narratives because he wrote the book ethical oil which criticizes putin so therefore yeah you, you can't say that i'm pro-russian because i'm clearly not and now we get to the the claim against bell media because so that's most of the stuff having to do with the study itself but now we can get to what was said on the show so i first want to play the clip of ezra setting it up and then We'll get into it a bit, and then we'll listen to the actual clip that uh, Boucher had on CTV. But here is how Ezra describes how Boucher defamed him. You can see we're suing Boucher. That's the disinformation czar. I call him that because he's funded by Trudeau to do that. We're suing the University of Calgary for publishing his smear. And we're suing CTV, where he went on TV and said we were amongst the worst misinformation propagandists in Canada. I really don't know why he said that. Even his own study refutes that. Maybe it's because he's hated Rebel News for a very long time and has publicly daydreamed about crushing us, which isn't very scholarly or academic at all, is it? There's this weird thing he says, implying that we make money off this propaganda. What is he talking about? That's not even in his study. He just spat that wild accusation out. How on earth are, are we making money off our non-existent Russian propaganda? It, it almost feels like he knew, he knew the facts were too boring, and he promised CTV a very salacious interview, and his study wasn't really very exciting, and the facts weren't very intriguing, so he just blurted out some things he made up on the spot. I mean, he's hated Rebel News for years, so, so he named us as the bad guys. It's so weird. So he made two claims about this clip. The first is that they're the worst misinformation propagandists, even though his own study refutes this. And right away, I could just say, it's like weird. It's weird 
making this argument because it seems to hinge around like what is the definition of main or like uh uh main or worst because it's like rebel news did make it into like the list of the top 10 spreaders of these pro-russian narratives in canada which is like top 10 <laughs> can we call you worst yet like what at what level like how high of a number do you have to be before you could be like one of the worst you know but we'll we'll get into whether or not i mean the other thing is because he says even his own study refutes this but it's like we'll get to whether or not this had anything to do with uh, what the study was saying the other one was they make money off this propaganda and this is not even said in his study so automatically when i heard this i'm like it wasn't even said in his study okay well then why how is he making this claim like is he talking about the study <laughs> uh and we'll get to that in one second so this is what they argue in the lawsuit for how they were defamed by the CTV appearance. So I'll just read straight from their lawsuit again. So, quote, the defamatory comments, including within the contents, context of the segment as a whole, in their natural and ordinary meaning or in the alternative, by way of innuendo, were meant and understood to mean that Rebel News is A, untrustworthy and uncredible and should not be relied upon by the public as a reliable source of information, B, a mouthpiece for pro-Russian propaganda and disinformation. C, intentionally spreads misinformation to its viewers. And D, is one of the main Canadian outlets spreading disinformation. And part of like why, why I wanted to read that too is just like, if you think someone's wrong, and you like describe why they were wrong, and you tell them that they're wrong, like... That's not defamatory, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, it's what's frustrating is because it's like, of course, you know, if I said all that and it wasn't true, I mean, I have a whole podcast where we cover week by week all the things that get wrong. Like, at some point you go like, okay, you're spreading a lot of things that aren't true. Now, if I just say that, like, am, am I now susceptible to a lawsuit? If I ever was like, yeah, they are one of the worst spreaders of misinformation. Like, that seems like to be a really chilling thing against free speech to, like, frame it in those terms. Like, you can't even criticize people anymore. And it's worrying, especially, too, for academics, but also for random left-wing people, because our side of the like spectrum we don't have the capital and the financial backing from corporations and right-wing think tanks to defend ourselves against that kind of stuff um nor the time like most of us are people who we're doing this on the side and that's also really scary to me as well because um that sets a very at least with maybe with the university like um i don't know if the university would ever try and like uh help someone who got sued or something like that or i don't know how I know that necessarily would work boucher is using one of the lawyers associated with the university for his intent to sue so it's likely that he has the university's backing i will also say that like ezra threatened ctv and the university of calgary to remove this material or he was going to sue and they didn't both both refused all the stuff is still posted online so mike it's interesting that he is picking the fight where he's picking it you know what i mean because he could yeah. just do this to end any random person calling them liars and whatnot but like i wonder like 
I wonder if part of it is the like clout game where like I'm taking on the big people or like well, and especially with academia because so much of modern right wing like especially far right stuff is really anti academic and you see that all the time I see people on TikTok putting videos like haha I'm pretending to be a liberal to pass my exam and it's like yeah. no I like <laughs> I hate to say it but it's it's just cuz you're stupid and you think that like Joe Biden stole the election and that you think that global warming isn't real your conservative views will not succeed in an academic setting because they're not academic views they're not you can't defend them scientifically and the whole old university is biased and left wing um, I don't think that's true, but I, I do think that there's uh, a lot of right wing people who kind of get hit in the face when they realize when they go into an academic setting and they, they get slaps them in the face and they realize, wow, like <laughs> majority of what I believe is not supported by science. And yeah. but that anti academic stuff really, I find it really does well, especially you see the Toronto Sun do that all the time, too. Oh, it's the Marxist professors indoctrinating your children and um it, it's it's so far from the truth and it, it's so frustrating but i can see how i could see possibly why it would benefit him by being oh i'm against an academic because people claim that academia is inherently marxist and inherently um biased to the left yeah i mean like we've talked about this before on the show like you know keys to like fascism like umberto echo's list like one of them is like anti-intellectualism like <laughs> that's that's like what they do right and like you could see why but like and like and i get it too is uh, in part that like there are people within academia uh, people who have degrees that like come off as smug elitists like that does happen and so it's like i, I think I think that's part of the reason why there's a lot of people who become anti-intellectual. I think some of it is just like uh, ignorance and frustration in other ways. Because <laughs> like knowing academics, like some of them are good teachers and like maybe we should listen to them. Like, and they're not coming across smug or whatever. But like, I, I understand how some of these stereotypes persist. But like, of course they lean on it so hard uh, to promote a kind of like anti-intellectualism while, while like, again, how many things has he like said incorrectly? <laughs> the piece that we're doing currently, like this guy has no standards about correctness. He just like claiming that like they called us Russian agents over and over again. And it's like not once did these guys call them Russian agents and even their own lawsuit never says that they were called Russian agents. So it's like, Again, there's no standards here at all, which is like, which is the thing that I feel like the, the anti-intellectual types like never consider, which is they don't think of like, oh, what would a world be like with no standards whatsoever? No, no measure of, <laughs> of like the right answer, everything like in, in a weird way, they become like the postmodernists, you know, it's <laughs> mm, very true. Where it's like, I don't know, there are some things that are, you know, as close to true as we could do, you know. You know, science, nothing is ever 100%. But, you know, we have a pretty, pretty good grasp on some things, you know. <laughs> but let's get to it. So this, we've heard now everything that they're going to, that he has to say about this CTV interview. Now, this is going to be a longish clip. I think it like it's around like three minutes long. But I wanted to play it in full context. Uh, and that is because in the interview on CTV, Rebel News is only mentioned a single time in the entire piece and it's in the very last question of the interview so most of the interview 
had to do with Russia and Russian disinformation. And then we get this last question, and then Rebel News gets brought up. So I wanted to play it in full, because what we've gotten from how Ezra talks about this is Ezra keeps framing it in terms of like, well, his study doesn't even say this or whatever. But that would imply that Rebel is being discussed in the context of spreading Russian disinformation. But just look at how uh, they are brought up in the context of this interview, and then we can discuss afterwards. But again, it's going to be a little bit of a longish clip, but uh, I wanted to give the full context so that you could see what Ezra is doing here. Okay. So here's the big question. How do you battle that kind of misinformation and disinformation? As a journalist, I know that's an uphill one. I know, and, and there's so many misconceptions about this. So the research on, on how to fight misinformation is still nascent. And, and there's a lot of assumptions that we thought were real and we learned through COVID-19 that it wasn't real. For example, fact-checking, it's not at all clear that it works all, all the time that we think it does. Um, right now, there's a study coming out of an NYU that says, like, tagging accounts as, like, state-sponsored uh, media actually doesn't do a lot of uh, work. Um, my sense is there's no silver bullet to fight misinformation, and, and we have to kind of approach this from a whole of society approach. The first part is to be more transparent. We have, like, government agencies and everyone have to now assume that information will come out, and any kind of hesitancy and, and lack of transparency allows foreign powers and domestic uh, groups to sow misinformation and create conspiracy theories out of nothing. There's also platform regulations where, you know, social media platforms uh, are enabling uh, misinformation and network effect, and somehow they need to do a lot more to kind of combat this. Um, I think also we should uh, trust and verify, you know, there should be a regulating um, uh, authority in Canada available, like, um, available and willing to look at, you know, uh, social media platforms, algorithms, and how they shape narratives and how all of these so that we have a better sense of what's happening. And then finally, socially, you know, at the level of society, we need to know more about misinformation. We need to study it. We need to push back, like name and shame when we see things happening instead of holding back. And we need to increase data literacy and, and, and establish, you know, social media norms for everyone. Um, um, and maybe finally, uh, maybe we need to hold it to, into account people who are profiteering from, from misinformation. Do we really care if my aunt, you know, Janin is sending me a Twitter, like misinformed, you know, tweet to me, like we don't care. But if, you know, people are making money out of this, if influencers are making money and they use misinformation as a way to make a, a buck, then maybe we should hold them accountable. Maybe the, the Rebel News, who's one of the main influencers in Canada sowing misinformation, maybe we should hold them accountable and say like, well, you're you're making money out of this. We have to hold you to a certain kind of level of, of, of accountability. Um, and now we will hold you responsible for if you somehow willingly uh, spread misinformation. That's it. So do we get the sense that that was about Russia specifically? <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting cliff, but... I don't think he mentioned Russia at all in the whole thing, did he? <laughs> no, it seemed like he was just talking about like how do we deal with misinformation generally uh, as a way to wrap up the interview. Because that was like literally after uh, where I cut it off, they did their goodbyes and ended the segment. So like that was it. So it's like, yeah. And like does Rebel News profit off the spread of misinformation? We We went through this whole COVID thing 
Were the, and he's constantly asking for donations so they could fight the fines and all these COVID regulations and all this, right? Like, yeah, they profit off of this stuff. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. if they go to court for this, like, if anything, I like, I want to reach out to, uh, to Boucher and be like, look, you want a resource for all, <laughs> all the ways they profit on off of misinformation? Hit me up. Let's go. <laughs> You should actually. <laughs> well, like what's interesting to me about this too is is what he was talking about is like how when I think about um like when I studied media in university and how television and radio were created at a time when the government was stronger, and now we have the internet, which was created after neoliberalism, and especially once it got like big, it was created after neoliberalism when it went commercial and and everyone got it. And the internet has like no regulation pretty much versus television and radio, which is like so heavily regulated. When I listen to a song on the radio, they can't say shit. But then on the internet, since it was founded like during this era of neoliberalism, there's virtually very, very little any kind of government intervention, anything at all to do with the internet. And I think what he said there definitely hit probably hit a nerve with Ezra because the stuff of if the, I don't think Trudeau would ever introduce any kind of legislation to stop people from profiting off the internet. But I could see someone suing uh, rebel news in a similar way to how those families of the children who were killed in the shooting sued Alex Jones, because I can see how the misinformation that Ezra and rebel news spreads. I can see how, especially when it comes to um, doxing and when they target an individual personally. And if that person suffers harassment and can prove they suffered harassment from Rebel News viewers, that could definitely hit. Like, I could definitely see a civil lawsuit against Rebel News for that. And I think that probably scares the shit out of um, Ezra because that's the only... I don't see the government ever stepping in and shutting down Rebel News. And I don't even know if I could ever see, like, look how hard it was to take down Kiwi Farms, um, like the, the DDoS protection services. It's so difficult to do anything, any kind of restriction or regulation on Internet. But the civil stuff I could see really destroying a business like Rebel News very easily if that ever did happen. Especially if it gets to, like, how it was in the Alex Jones case where it's, like, comes to, like, punitive damages, right? So that you prevent them from doing it in the future. Because, like, all you would need and, like, you know, uh, spoiler alert, I will have a clip coming up where it's, like, all you need is from him to pivot from this stuff to being, like, oh, and here's where you can donate to Rebel News. Like... <laughs> Which is what they're like constantly doing, right? So yeah, they're they're profiting off the spread of this misinformation. Like I don't know. Like I guess you know leave Badrino out of this, but it's like come get me. Like I don't like this is like the one where it's it's so easy to win, which is why it's like I I am glad he's starting with uh, I guess Boucher, who probably has a lot more money to defend himself. But it's like i i can't see how how he thinks he can win here which to me it's like it's got to be like some kind of publicity thing or like a way to like fundraise off his audience or something like i i just don't see why he thinks this is beneficial to do in terms of actually succeeding at this lawsuit because it sounds ridiculous to me exactly i i will read one more section from the actual lawsuit itself 
Uh, in part because I just think uh, this is where it gets to like how Ezra thinks that he was actually damaged by the CTV interview that we just played. So this is in the damages section. So this is what Ezra has to say about that. He goes, the effect of Boucher and the university's defamation was and is to lead individuals, including Levant's audience, colleagues, and the Canadian public generally, to question Levant's motives, the validity, validity of his opinions, and question his credibility, specifically whether he is being influenced by foreign sources. This impedes Levant's ability to work as an author and media personality. And the reason I wanted to read this is like, he accuses everyone of being foreign funded. We even like have one of our Patreon tiers as the foreign funded environmentalist because it's such a common trope that he like brings out all the time. So it's like, if like the other funny part of this is like what he's doing in this lawsuit as well, just opens it up where he's like admitting, like the, the difference is like he has one, not proven at all that this guy is actually being influenced by Trudeau. And yet, he's lying. So they're suing this guy for claiming that he's calling them a Russian agent. And they're like, this hurts me because now it looks like I'm foreign funded or something like this, right? When I'm really not. But in reality, they never said he was foreign funded, right? And yet, he is actually accusing them of being funded and having that funding distort their opinions when he has no proof that they're doing this. So it's just like, even in his own lawsuit, he's showing why he's wrong and why he actually should be the one being sued by Boucher. <laughs> you know? And and like this is the concerning thing to me too, is that like time and time again, it's usually right-wing people suing left-wing people or centrist people or whatever. And in so many more cases, I do think that left-wing people could sue right-wing people successfully, but a lot of us don't. And um, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with like Ethan Klein and um, H3H3, yes. the stuff he does is usually not super political, but he was in a, to me, like a very important free speech type lawsuit when he was sued by someone multiple times. And I think every single one's been thrown out. And that was kind of even set as like a precedent in, in US case with regard to free speech and what you can say about people on YouTube specifically. But when I look at that, that's another case of like a right wing person um, suing someone like for just ridiculous things that and then losing. Um, but when I when I look at that, though, I it, in a weird way, it's it's almost like um, it's like what you just said. But everything he's kind of accusing this guy of doing is is what he does on a very regular <laughs> basis and gets away with it because left wing people and centrist people aren't doing litigation like if justin trudeau wanted i'm sure justin trudeau could sue him for there's i guarantee you there's a bunch of things he said um that trudeau could sue for or just uh, there's many people um especially during covid with uh like medical uh what do you call them uh, the health officers and the uh the heads of health departments and things like that and those people who get targeted harassment or what we see in the states with that hospital that um children's hospital with matt walsh and all those yeah people like that targeted harassment that they keep doing um i really wish that there would be more people who would litigate against these people to stop them because so many of these people claim to be free speech but someone like matt walsh should be sued for what he did he did because he directly incited people 
they know what they're doing. They know that they have viewers who might be unstable or who might, who are going to listen to every single thing they say, and they're going to go out and act on that stuff. And I really do wish that more people would litigate against this stuff because if you don't, they just keep getting away with it and it's causing real harm on people. Well, I thought they were going to be sued with the Dominion stuff, but like, as far as I'm aware, they haven't been like named in that, even though they were sent the, the, you must keep your materials, uh, that defamed us because like they had a huge conspiracy that like Dominion voting was like working in the same office building as the Tides Foundation. And therefore George Soros was the reason why the 2016 election went, uh, or the, uh, when when it happened 2020 <laughs> whatever yeah. that election was where biden won right so like they engage in this this kind of fucking stuff and like you know at least in those cases like it's kind of harder when it comes to just the general stochastic terrorism against trans people but like yeah there's so many people that they target directly where like yeah if these people had money they actually could do something about it which is why part of me is like i hope boucher goes goes forward with this i hope the university of calgary and bell media do not cave or settle and fucking fight this guy like come on now and like and look and you want to i guess if you want to play some sort of clip let's this is how he ends the segment right so he talks about how he can't be pro-russian on the show because he's like i have family uh history in ukraine and also i wrote ethical oil so i can't be against russia it's always his he's always ethical oil that's the reason why he can't be uh uh pro-russian but he does all that and then this is how he ends the the whole fucking segment so just uh i i love this you gotta listen to this imagine this trudeau thug accusing me of being a russian agent and getting paid for it See you in court, you bully. And by the way, don't you delete any of your emails back and forth with Trudeau's team. I think the court will be very interested to see all of your marching orders. Friends, if you can help me in this battle, please do go to saverebelnews.com. He's threatened to sue me, so I've moved first. I have no doubt he will sue me too, but I'm relying on the courts to prove the truth of it that Trudeau's disinformation czar was motivated by a pre-existing hatred for Rebel News, that his biased study was designed to capture Trudeau's domestic political enemies, and that when Boucher went on TV, he simply made up lies about us to seem interesting and entertaining. This is when we live or die. Trudeau wants this to be the end of us. I need your help to make sure we live on. If you can, Please go to saverebelnews.com, read Boucher's threat letter, read our preemptive lawsuit. And if you can, please chip in. Boucher has the nearly unlimited resources of the government at his disposal. I, I have you and the truth. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I have you and the truth. I, like, of course, he's going to go to SaveRebelNews.com and chip in a few bucks. <laughs> our, our small team like ours going against the big government. I, like, I love the, the audacity for him to say that they're going to prove it in court. Like, it's like, I have no proof that he works with Trudeau right now. But we're going to, like, through discovery, get secret documents of communications between this guy and 
what did he trudeau's team whatever the fuck that means like like he could probably extend what he means by that to be like any anyone working for the dod when they handed him the grant money like it's just so amazing and like this is to me why like the lawsuit is probably going to get thrown out because if you're stating this on your show it shows that what you're doing is you're trying to use this lawsuit for discovery you have no evidence <laughs> of any of the, any of the stuff that you're saying you just want access to their to their emails so that you can then go and spread a bunch of shit about what you saw in those emails you should do a fake lawsuit against me, and then we can both fundraise off of it. I'll do a save Bajino <laughs> politics thing. You could do a save Imperial News thing, and we'll do some kind of fake lawsuit over some kind of defamation, and then we could both try and fundraise off it. Because that, especially that part about um, marching orders in Trudeau's team. Because like, don't get me wrong, I have a lot of criticisms of like the federal government and like. The, the the relationship between the federal government and the liberal party and like how often you see someone working from the federal government go directly to running as a liberal candidate like that's happened so many times in writings i've lived in but like even me who who can be critical of the federal government um to, to say to, to think that justin trudeau has like direct orders to end the segment i will just say that uh, Ezra is seeking five hundred thousand dollars worth of damages. <laughs> so, uh, oh my god! Yeah, it was something like it was like two hundred thousand from uh, Boucher, two hundred thousand from the university, and like a hundred thousand from CTV or something like that. Like it was some weird breakdown, but five hundred thousand in total. I don't That's think he's a gonna ridiculous see amount of money. That's a ridiculous amount of money to. <laughs> yeah, half a mil over everything that we just talked about. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Like, dude, like, how could he? How could he prove that this damaged his brand? Like this one tiny segment that was on the news that no one probably really cares about, and how many people actually read this policy brief? Like, no one reads policy briefs, so it's like. How could you get? How could he lose out on five hundred five hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, revenue on on something like this? Like, yeah, it depends on how he files it because I know there's like a difference between uh, I want to say it's like defamation and slander, or I can't remember. But one of them you don't have to prove damages. You could just be like the mere fact that it's been published and exists is causing harm to me. Uh, so Canada is a little bit different than America in that respects. But at the same time, it is listed in the damages section that like he does have a damages section saying that he actually was damaged by this because uh, but like, yeah, was he really? <laughs> I don't think so. Not more so than any of the other stuff that he that he has done. Right. The funniest thing about this is I feel that if Trudeau actually cared about him, because I don't think Trudeau really cared. Like, I don't even is trudeau aware of rebel news like yeah you know if, if that i mean like, I don't there was think... the the statement he made when he was asked the question at the leadership debate oh right 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 but like i don't think like i don't think trudeau cares enough because if he really cared if trudeau really wanted to i'm sure he could go after rebel news in the sense of like tr like i'm sure if he really wanted to he could find a way to hurt rebel news's income um 
especially with like I, I don't I don't remember what type of payment services Rebel News uses, but I, like maybe they use PayPal or they used to, like but that. they got kicked off. Do you know what they use now? I I don't know, no. But it's not okay, PayPal so, anymore like, because they did get kicked off uh, <laughs> for that. So that's pretty funny. But like that's the thing. If Trudeau really wanted to, like I feel he like he could very easily just screw over the whole um, network very easily if he really wanted to but i just don't think that trudeau or liberal the liberal party in general really cares i'm sure they care a bit because like they're worried about what he's saying might spark violence against them but at the same time i don't think it's like super high on their agenda to like shut down rebel news yeah i don't know i mean uh, i would say that like uh, rebels at least on the radar like, not to feed into his, like, conspiracy theories about this, but, like, some of the legislation in curbing, like, online hate speech, I think is, like, some of it is partly directed at Rebel News. Uh, but, like, again, that's, like, those are, like, legislative fixes, which, again, it's, like, coming from the liberal government, I feel like they're wishy-washy on it because they're, like, neoliberal and, like, they're, like, we're okay with a little bit of hate speech. We just gotta <laughs> find out how to properly do it, right? So, like... I don't think they they go far enough in terms of that, but I do think that the kind of like stuff that Ezra does is at least on the radar. And like Trudeau had some things to say about them at the last leadership debate, so it's not like he's unaware of who they are and the harassment and stuff like this. So it's just that I don't I don't think what Trudeau was doing is secretly using grant funding that's done usually through a blind process. And then communicating like marching orders to like university professors. I highly doubt Trudeau is doing that when Trudeau does have control of the legislature and can do much more damage to a rebel without like this secret plotting that Ezra thinks is happening. Now, I the the end the interview segment was with David Menzies, and they were complaining about Patrick Brown, who won re-election or whatever in Brantford. No, Burlington. And uh, I, I, I don't care. Like, David Menzies just hates Patrick Brown because Patrick Brown has had him arrested and, like, other stuff. So, <laughs> like, it's just a... It's repeating the same shit just over and over again, and I don't care. So we move to October 26th, and on the 26th, Ezra's whole main piece is that he wants COVID lockdown amnesty. He wants everyone who received a ticket to, like, be relieved of any fines and, like, all that fun stuff. So, great. <laughs> Again, very little to say about that other than, like, good luck and I don't care. The interview segment on the 26th was also something I don't care too much about. Uh, he interviews one of his... Uh, employees who was at the emergency act inquiry and they pretty much just talked about like we're we're really doing good in these inquiries and also check out our airbnb <laughs> that, was, that was the whole segment so again i don't care they got an airbnb though you know they really they're really selling that airbnb on the 27th they talk about the midterms so they have the whole show is dedicated to Joel Pollack, who's the editor at Breitbart News and who's a frequent guest on Rebel News. And they have him on to discuss the upcoming midterms and like how things could turn out. 
And of course, they both predict there's going to be like, you know, a red wave, a red tsunami. It's incoming. The Democrats are going to be destroyed. And uh, Pollock specifically was like, and the reasons, the reasons why Republicans are going to do so well and why they were rising in the polls all had to do with that Joe Biden speech. Do you remember this one where like it had the red light behind him? <laughs> yes, I remember that. It was so funny. So that's that's actually the reason why the Republicans were rising in the polls, according to Pollock, even though it happened months ago. And I think most people have forgotten about that speech. And I remember Ben Shapiro going off about that speech, that that's the most divisive speech. And it's like, it's so funny how quickly their feelings get hurt. Like their little feelings get hurt over still like that was not like a hateful speech that was not a anything like what joe biden said was actually i'd say it was pretty accurate to some degree but and they just went wild with the pictures and like they were photoshopping it and i i just i found that so funny especially because uh to connect that to the midterms um the, the political analysis of all these right-wing people is just always so horrible but as long as it goes along with the preconceived notions that the viewers have, they'll listen to it and they'll eat it up. Yeah, because I mean, like you even think of what that speech was about, which was about like the threats to democracy posed by like what Biden was called the MAGA Republicans. Right. And most of those, quote unquote, MAGA Republicans, like a lot of them got like swiped in this <laughs> midterm election. So it's like they just like had no sense of where this was, was going. And like thought it was in the bag for them, but good, good for them. I mean, the other thing is I love is they they spent a lot of time talking about how this election is going to prove that wokeness is a failed governing strategy. And now that like it didn't go as well as they were hoping, I'm like, does this now prove that wokeness is a good governing strategy? <laughs> <laughs> that wokeness is actually the right way to go. I've seen them because that's the thing too. It's it's like. I think Hassan said that a lot of these people, it's like arguing with a kid sometimes that they're making their own game and they'll just change the rules. So they always win. So once they noticed that they didn't, there wasn't a red wave, then they're like, Oh, well, Florida went really Republican. And um, that's because DeSantis is anti-woke and that's because, but it's like Florida has very specific demographics of old people that migrate across the country there. It's, I don't consider it a swing state anymore. It hasn't, it hasn't gone um, Democrat since Obama. And over time, like usually just more and more old people across the country retire there because it's relatively cheap, very nice weather. You could be by the ocean. Uh, there's a bunch of very nice retirement communities. So it's like the demographics of Florida to for, to say that, oh, well, since DeSantis was successful because he's anti-woke, um, th that's not true. It's just Florida's the demographics change. It's and it's a older state. <laughs> And it's going to continue. It's probably going to get more red in the future. To be honest, when I look at those, Texas is probably going to get more blue over time. And Florida is probably going to get more red um, just because of the changing demographics in Texas. So I, I just I find that so funny when they'll just shift the argument. They'll shift the goalposts when the, their original prediction is wrong. Then they'll say, well, oh, it's it's Florida. It's Florida's anti-woke. But that still doesn't go along with with what their narrative is. Even like I find it's like hard to make a comparison with the what happened in Florida this election compared to previous ones, because like 
what was the guy that he ran against like Christ or whatever who was like who the was the former Repu- he was yeah. the former republican governor who then switched yeah. to democrats to run against him when it's like when terry gillum ran who was way way more of a progressive and was a democrat he did way better against DeSantis. so it's like maybe it was the fact that they had an actual progressive alternative that drove people to the polls back when andrew ran compared to like running a republican against a republican and like people like the republican that has more gusto i guess you know like it's just like Mm -hmm. there could be other reasons why that election skewed the way that it did although you are right about the demographics of Florida as well so it's like it's just like for them to conclude that it had anything to do with like his wokeism or something like this when you have pretty much two republicans running against each other is is silly yeah exactly i mean like the other funny thing is like in in terms of them talking about wokeness on the show because like they talked about how the the wokeness failed as a strategy and they used as evidence of like Biden governing wokeism as like Biden sat down with a trans kid and talking about how like, you know, other kids are mean to you, but we're going to like make a difference in the world and change hearts and minds. That's somehow that that's too far. That's why people are going to vote Republican, because you talk to a trans kid. How dare you? But in, in like in an actual sense, too, like when I look at this, to me, the anti-woke Republican stuff, if I was a Republican strategist, I would be like, okay, we need to dial it back because it seems like people didn't really care about that because I'm sure there are people who are like really anti-woke. Ah. But most average people are not actually like that. And especially with the inflation and like the other serious issues people are facing, I feel like way more average people care about their gas prices, the prices of food at the grocery store and a lot of these American people don't even know anyone who's actually trans. And unless they're really hopped up on like the evangelical um, Christian stuff or like the misinformation stuff that they read online about uh, litter boxes in high schools, a lot of them don't actually care about this stuff. And it would have made more sense for the Republicans to run a campaign on inflation under Biden than it would with this really hard Trump um anti-woke anti-lgbtq stuff see like i think too like they were screwed anyways because i i don't think inflation was really resonating either because like i think a lot of people are aware that like what can biden or any government do to fight inflation like nothing that the the other problem with the republicans hitting that inflation note was they never explained what they were going to do about it you know what I mean? Like that's the thing is because you can't, and it's the same with gas prices. I think I think there's certainly a lot of people who are just like gas prices are bad right now, and Biden's president. I'm gonna vote against him. But I think a lot of people are just like, how do you like? How is Biden responsible for the war in Ukraine such that like my gas prices changed? Like there is some sense in which people have a little bit of an understanding that these things are complex and it's not like you're going to elect a president who's just going to magically go gas prices are better, you know? And so part of it is, is like, like they just didn't have any, anything to offer whatsoever. They were just hoping that these culture war issues were going to be the things that motivate people, you know? And uh, as you said, like, look at the demographic that showed up. It was mostly like a ton of young people showed up and voted because they're the ones who are just like i know trans people because they're more visible to them more people are coming out of the closet more people are 
presenting as trans. And so it's like the visibility for these people is is higher. And they're like, they're just normal fucking people. And they're looking at a society that just took women's and pregnant people's rights away. So it's like, of course, the younger people are not going to be motivated by these culture war issues when it's directly affecting them. They're, they're the first generation that they're like, I have less parents or less rights than my parents do. And it's fucked up. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Not surprised. Like, there's an element in which it's it's like. It was kind of shocking that the Democrats, even though they might still like lose in a theoretical sense, did way better than expected. Uh, but also not surprising because like, <laughs> I think there is a I mean, like another thing that a lot of people forget. I might as well just bring this up, too. It's just like America has been gerrymandered to shit. Largely mm. because George Bush took control of a lot of legislatures back when he was elected in the, in the 2000s, right at a time when the technology was available to gerrymander, like, really technically. Uh, and so they just happened to get the prime spot right when this technology became widely available. And, like, since that election, like, America has been gerrymandered to shit. So Democrats consistently overperform at the polls and yet have less representation across the country. So it's like, I, I just feel like every election, a lot of people forget that and then go, oh, Democrats should have tried hard, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, they should always and all this stuff. But it's like, they're they're competing in a, a system that is set up against them. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fucked up. I think specifically, didn't that um, happen in New York? Wasn't there something oh, with yeah. uh, Cuomo with that where uh, but that they, was, they, they got screwed? Yeah, that? that was more that the Democrats screwed themselves on that one. That's that's yeah. uh, that what happened recently in New York is totally to blame <laughs> on Democrats themselves. But like gerrymandering across the country is largely uh, due to again, it goes. I remember uh, like reading this stuff like back when it was happening, but like. It literally had it. It was a technology thing, right? Like, because you got to think, like, coming up with those maps and perfectly aligning the right uh, configurations such that you get the vote that you want, like, takes a lot of math. And so it's like, as soon as you have the computing technology to do that, you can create a whole bunch of maps where you can secure, you know, your seats in Congress. And they they just happen to get that technology while they just happen to be in power, you know from a stolen election technically you know so uh yeah anyways american history but <laughs> but yes that's that's pretty much all they had to say about the election and uh it's just amazing how bad they are at prognosticating where things are going but not i mean not too surprised <laughs> so we get to the yeah. final day october 28th and uh you know, it's been like an ongoing theme where it's like every Friday, Menzies is the guest host and he wants to come on to talk about this teacher in Oakville with the big boobies. That's, uh, I don't know why that's his new thing, but this is the thing he's not going to let go. Uh, teacher had big boobs. It's weird and he's not going to stop talking about it. So, and, and what, like, there's an added layer here too that gets like silly because I guess. Uh, there was a concern from the Halton District School Board that people were going to wear Halloween costumes of the teacher and like stuff like this. And so some emails were sent out with like memos about like, you know, 
not dressing in con- costumes that appropriate cultures or like uh, mock trans people or etc. Like like there was a bunch of these memos coming out, and so now Menzies is like the woke people are coming after your Halloween costumes, and <laughs> and there was one part of this segment that I wanted to clip, which is I guess he was talking about. I guess this one was from a Toronto school board where they were listing a bunch of like reasons for like how to wear certain costumes. And one of them had to do with like different cultures having to do with like how they perceive death and stuff like this. So this is just Menzies riffing on that. Some students have had firsthand traumatic experiences of violence that make talking about death, ghosts, etc., extremely alienating And number six, many recently arrived students in our schools share no background cultural knowledge of trick-or-treating or or the commercialization of death as fun. You know, folks, I really love that last point about recently arrived students. I think the TDSB means immigrants. The fact that they have no background cultural knowledge of Halloween. This is undoubtedly true. So you know what you do as educators? You teach these newly arrived students about Halloween. Yes, remember that part of the teaching profession? Teaching as opposed to writing memos why things might be triggering? I like, (laughs) I love this explanation because it's like people of varying cultures have different ways they perceive dead people. So it's like a way to alleviate the the harm you might do there. Just teach them. And then that... (laughs) i love that it's like halloween though it's like oh this is this is canadian culture like we gotta force our culture (laughs) halloween tim hortons force it on them force it on the immigrants and it's like oh my god this is your culture halloween because even people in like australia or like europe europe it's not because he's trying to frame it in a way that like oh it's people of color but like from what I understand, Halloween's usually a very like North American thing. Like even people yeah. in Europe and Australia, like countries where people are, are like white, people don't celebrate like Halloween's a very North American thing. So to try and act that it's like, oh, it's only people of color who don't know what Halloween is, because that's the undertones I'm getting from that. And then the thing about death too, it's like how many new immigrants to Canada are Ukrainian and just moved here from a war zone? Like I know specifically even here in Northern Ontario, there's several students um, moving to a, a daycare program that someone I know who works at um, are Ukrainian kids who, who do not speak English at all. And they just came from a literal war zone. So like I could see why a school board's like, okay, maybe take it lightly on Halloween this year, um, uh, especially for something like that, or someone who might be coming from, uh, Afghanistan recently or any area in the world where there's um, a lot of like uh, political violence happening and things and violence in general happening it, to act like it's it's all woke and this is a woke thing um, and, and that this is like our old our good old days we had Halloween and like kids nowadays and all the immigrant children don't understand Halloween it's like that's just such a weird thing. That's such a weird hill to die on to me. Like it's Halloween. Who cares? Well, like even like when I read like a lot of these memos that he's talking about, most of them when they were talking about this were surrounding things like violent depictions, like you know Halloween, like serial killers or like 
movie monsters with like knives and stuff like this what it's like a jeffrey dahmer i saw people dressing yeah. up as him like i could i could see why people are like in high schools like don't dress up as him right like they're not saying like don't dress up as like i don't know like woody from toy story <laughs> that was just like the most benign thing i could think of in my head but like you know what i mean like there's there's ways in which you can still celebrate this holiday without like promoting violence and stuff like this especially like if you're i mean like I don't know. I, I, part of me is like, I don't really care too much about this. Like, is wearing a shirt that like I remember like even when I was in high school, I had a shirt uh, for a band that the, the it had this this like chicken character on it. That's like you know it was like drawn like a stick figure and it had like a stick figure gun like you know like just a, like a rectangle right. And then on the on the gun itself, it literally said fake gun. And so, like, I was wearing this shirt, and, like, the principal stopped me and was like, oh, you got to take this shirt off. And I was like, why? And he's like, it promotes violence. And I was like, it says oh, fake God. gun. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a real gun. But, like, so there's a part of me who's just like, was I harming anyone? But it's like, I understand you got rules, and, like, a lot of kids, it's just easier to have, like, a blanket policy or whatever. Uh, like, and, like, at the end of the day, did I need to wear that shirt? Does any like, it's just like, it, there's greater hills to die on, you know? Well, and the other thing, too, is I'm sure I'm sure there's like schools usually have pretty strict dress codes around Halloween stuff. And I imagine the conservatives would be on side with that. Usually, like usually that's what they side with. So, like, that's also another part of Halloween is like, like usually schools have a like a dress code of like what you're allowed to wear and stuff. And I feel like conservatives like him would be supporting that. So that's another weird part about this to me. It's like it's only the part that he considers woke. The, the other angle, the funny thing is, is like, I wonder, like, when they're talking about religious and cultural beliefs, the hardcore evangelical Christians think that Halloween is satanic. Like, <laughs> they're yeah, probably one of the groups. Like, so the base <laughs> of their audience that listens to their show are probably one of the groups that calls into these school boards complaining about the promotion of Halloween, you know? Actually, that's true, yeah, because when I think back to school, all the kids who didn't celebrate Halloween were the hardcore Christian or Jehovah's Witness ones, and they weren't allowed to. Yeah. Even at the Catholic school I went to, some kids, um, if the parents were really, really strict, they weren't allowed to. So that is a really funny part about this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just amazing. But, of course, like, woke, woke people are coming for Halloween. It's like, I don't know, at the end of the day, just don't be an asshole. And, like, like here's the thing, it's like, everything that you said about people come from war zones or even if people have different cultures it's like okay yeah then let's celebrate in a way that's more welcoming of other people like why is that such a big deal like just be nice to people you know wow oh my god <laughs> western society has been destroyed completely our sweet western halloween culture has been destroyed yeah <laughs> So Menzies then goes on to talk about the Oakville teacher because, like, one of the memos for Halloween costumes said something like, don't uh, dress up as, like, mocking other genders and stuff like this. And so he uses the Oakville teacher as, like, well, look at this person mocking a gender and stuff like this. As if, like, being trans is evidence of, like, mockery towards like especially like being a trans woman is there for mocking womanness or something like this or wearing a costume uh so he's just feeding into the the transphobia there where it's like there's a difference between being trans 
and like doing something purposefully to like mock someone else you know then i also think like there's like let people like dress however they want as trans like we don't we also don't need to like essentialize what that means uh you know but but either way so he brings this about the oakville teacher and then he he ends the segment by leaning so he has this we brought this up before he has this like three-part model that he's come up with which is like either it's sincere it's a hoax or that they're uh mentally ill is usually the sort of like three-part model right i'm gonna play this clip there's gonna be some uh dead naming as well as misgendering because they constantly do this uh whenever they're talking about trans people but i'm gonna play it and in it what like look at the so they're gonna talk about uh, so usually he talks about how much of this is a hoax but this time he's gonna lean on the fact that it's mental illness and just listen to how weird it is Menzies talking about uh, this person being mentally ill. And number two, that leaves us with the only other theory. This individual is suffering from mental illness. There is also much speculation on social media that Lemieux could be suffering from autogenophilia. According to the National Library of Medicine, autogenophilia is defined as, quote, a male's propensity to be sexually aroused by the thought of himself as a female. It is the paraphilia that is theorized to underlie transvestism and some forms of male-to-female transsexualism. Autogenophilia encompasses sexual arousal with cross-dressing and cross-gender expression, end quote. Now, folks, if this is indeed the case, Lemieux needs psychiatric treatment, and at the very least, he needs to be removed from a classroom full of minors. But for the educrats at the Halton District School Board to even ask the question if something more is at play here, something that is far more sinister than simply a man genuinely transitioning into a female, well, merely raising the issue is, like I said earlier, an act of transphobia. So it is transphobia. I mean, everything that was said here is transphobic, but uh, out of curiosity... And I'll say this, it's autogynophilia, not autogenophilia or whatever the hell. <laughs> I mean, it's gynecology, gynophilia. Like, yeah. I don't, <laughs> but uh, have you ever heard of this term, autogynophilia? This is like, this just tells you what circles David Menzies get information with. Because this is like a very like niche term that is used by transphobes and comes from a researcher named Ray Blanchard. And Ray Blanchard came up with what he called the trans uh, transsexualism topology, and one of the sort of like dimensions of of transsexualism, according to Ray Blanchard. I mean, he's using terms that I wouldn't use. Is uh, that there's a segment of the trans population, usually trans women, that are really just like men who are aroused by the fact of becoming women. Okay. And that's why they're transitioning. And this term, I think, was adopted in the DSM as like uh, aphelia, but then a lot of the trans community has reacted to Blanchard's work as well as uh, it. Specifically, I think the quote that Menzies reads in this piece is from an article by uh, another one of these people who promotes autogynophilia named Anne Lawrence, who is a, a colleague of Blanchard's and has utilized a lot of his work. Uh, 
and so it's <laughs> the the this these themes circle in transphobic communities to attack trans people by making it seem like their desire to be trans has nothing to do with like an actual feeling of being trans but some sort of like it's just like a men having a sexual perversion rather than you know wanting to be women sounds like transphobic eugenics in a way like it sounds like what they used to say about gay people the same thing that being gay was a, they just said oh it's it's a mental illness it's you're not uh attracted to other men you're just uh you have a mental illness i i don't think that changed actually until when 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 did they accept being gay as not a mental illness like i think that was relatively recently right it, definitely yeah. 20th century i mean and there's still stuff in the in the current dsm that like medicalizes transness in ways that are problematic like i'm not going to be the first to say that right and like even like like most most of the medical communities out there don't even accept Blanchard's sort of like arguments for autogonophilia and most of his research was like based on like self-reporting but then it's like really complicated to analyze what that information means like this is something I, I used to research like a long time ago because like a lot of this work came from like the early 2000s and 90s and was done in ways that, like, I mean, another one of them is Michael Bailey, who's promoted some of this, and he engaged in some behaviors that were uh, not great, I'll just say. <laughs> if people wanted to research this stuff, they could look into it. But, like, the problem with just, like, asking people these questions is it, is it doesn't tell you anything about causality. Like, a lot of people have very, like, complicated thoughts about themselves and viewing themselves sexually and, like, arousal and all this kind of stuff but that doesn't mean that the reason they became trans was because they were like aroused by that by that idea right it could have been that they were trans and then they just happened to also be aroused by the idea right like nothing nothing tells you about the causality here you know even if you take what i just said for granted that he wrote about it in his like studies right it's just the fact that like then by him saying this that there was this part of trans uh transness that has to do with this autogynephilia really was adopted and utilized by TERFs and other like transphobes by basically arguing that like trans people are sexual deviants which feeds into the narrative that they're bad and it's a mental illness and you need to fix it rather than it being just something that uh people are right and therefore like you don't need to pathologize it which is why, like, a lot of trans people have criticized Blanchard's work. Like, the trans community does not adopt the term autogynephilia. It seems to be Ray Blanchard and Anne Lawrence who have adopted it, and no one else accepts it, <laughs> other than TERFs. That's, like, right? And so yeah. that should tell you something. When it's, like, when Quillette, <laughs> the TERFs, uh, you know, all those people are the only ones using this term, like, it's not a legit term, you know? And of course, like a lot of them adopt the whole like we're under attack by the scientific establishment that just doesn't want to hear our our beautiful truths that we're spouting. And it's like, no, like a lot of the work they did, like abused trans people in the process. So it's like not only can we like discredit the theories for what they are, they, a lot of them have come under fire for the work that they did uh, for how they treated the, their trans patients as well. So. But it's just like, it, it's fucked up that like, 
you could even see it in how David Menzies like used this argument, right? Like that there's something sinister. That if that if it's autogynephilia, now it's sinister, and that the the board is covering it up. Where it's like, let's just accept that that is why this person transitioned. Who the fuck cares? What? <laughs> and that's what's so interesting about this too, though, and that's such a thing that so much of the right wing like misinformation circle and the sphere and everything they talk about it's just this one network of many different things that they keep repeating whether it's like what we mentioned earlier with like globalists and conspiracy theories related to jewish people or in this situation with regard to trans people it's connecting to the same old thing they said about gay people and uh, about people being sexual predators and all this stuff and what's very annoying about this is that there's instances of like creepy male teachers, male heterosexual teachers. When I look back at my high school career, um, there's so many examples of like creepy male high school t heterosexual teachers who like said things that they shouldn't have been saying or who got too flirty, especially if it was like a young, attractive male teacher. There's kind of a different standard there, I feel, right? If it's an older guy in his 50s who's overweight, um, it, that wouldn't work as well but if it's like a teacher who was like 28 and he's really good looking and he's in good shape and when i go back to high school and i look at like how uncomfortable it was sometimes the way that certain teachers would talk to female students like but all of this always has to do with blaming trans people or blaming gay people for problems that they're not causing and that's what's so annoying about this is that they never have any evidence of this it's always just made up conspiracy theory shit of all oh, this the, the the oh they're always attacking lgbtq people always it always goes back to lgbtq teachers whatever you do in your life they they just want this world where you completely remove lgbtq plus people from culture from teaching from anything they just want them literally removed in what would be a genocide and which is what they're trying to perpetrate in southern states remove them from society, remove them from our culture, not allow them to be who they would be the same way that you would do another genocide or, or uh, try and to ethnically cleanse uh, ethnic population. And they'll just use any kind of excuse they can to, to try to convince an average Joe that this is what we need to do, that we need to remove all these uh, LGBTQ people from society and put them away. And they'll say, anything to try and convince everyday people and it's really scary because when they use this kind of rhetoric it gets really worrying because this is going to backfire on when i look at when i was in high school like things were different i would say right like compared to kids now i think it's much more acceptable to be lgbtq now than when i was in high school i think a lot has changed um so i i think that's that's a good thing but now you also have like all these like growing adults who are just trying to come after you when you're a student. Like in Ottawa, there was a guy going around to schools with a sign uh, with transphobic stuff, screaming at children, screaming we at children. And and the only way they stopped is there was anti, there's protests against them. And then he finally left, but it's really scary. What, we what had, this is, what, what they're saying. We had a guy locally in London, Ontario, driving a pickup truck who then chased a bunch of people with a two by four who were marching in like a pride event of some kind 
And when the media asked, though, like, then the police, like, like his name was out there, they found him. And when the media, CBC, went to ask him, like, why he did that, he told them to go listen to Rebel News. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? And so, like, there's an element in which, like, you know, you can't, t- like, you know, rebels rebel sues people when they try to make a causal relationship here. But it doesn't even have to be causal. Like, they are a part of a environment that just promotes this stochastic terrorism where you can have some random Joe who, like, even when he was talking to the CBC, he's like, I'm not against gay people. It's just that they're grooming kids. And the people he was yeah. trying to attack with the two-by-four were fucking kids. Like, it's yeah. like their brains just, like, they can't handle but, it. <laughs> you know? And that's what they do, though, because it's such, like, in our society, like, there's very few ex- examples, I would say, in our society that that we allow violence, well, that it's, like, socially acceptable to do something violent, Right. And like, so maybe if, if you're a guy and, and, and someone's, um, your wife's cheating on you and there's a, a guy cheating with, the, with your wife, it's socially acceptable to like fight that guy. Like people wouldn't be shocked by something like that. It, and it's socially acceptable that if someone harms your kids to, to harm that person back, because I think that's, a, I would say across the world in many different cultures, I feel like that's one thing that kind of unites someone. If someone hurts your kids or, and does something horrendous to them, you want revenge for that. And that's a normal human feeling. And that's something that, like, there's real victims of um, sexual abuse who their parents feel very angry. and But they're trying to just take real feelings that people might have about real events and try and hype them up and direct that kind of attitude and anger to something that isn't real and something that's not happening. But it really works because people get hyped up about this they fall into the misinformation tube they listen to this and to me that's a whole core of about QAnon, why it was so successful and why because socially you can't say oh i i'm gonna murder someone on the street but they can say well oh i want to murder this politician because this politician is a pedo who's drinking children's blood and then all of a sudden it's socially acceptable to do that i mean it's like this all like it's the same with like nazi germany it's like it's the blood libel of Jewish people. It's like, it, it's just like you dehumanize a group of people, call them all groomos, groomers and pedos. And then it's like, the, the sort of like social norms of violence as you're talking about them get reshaped because of that. Because now it's like, oh, I, I am, it's in, in a weird way in the same sense that as it like doing the preemptive sue, right? Like, it's like the fear is like, they're, they're evil. I therefore need to preemptively attack it or else they're going to come for me too, right? It almost like primes those pumps. And so like people are going out there and committing these violence. I mean, and, and, it, and it follows the, how the right wing talks about this because there was a lot of Islamophobic uh, attacks. There still mm. is. And a lot of that comes from the same thing. Like Sharia law is taking over. I need to do something about it, right? And all they do is they keep pumping that, you know? And the, But the funniest thing, too, is that none of them actually care about abuse towards children. Like, none of them, you never see them talk no. about the Catholic Church and what happened with the Catholic Church. Or you never see them talk about, like, um, how in poor communities, like, wealthy people purposely come to poor communities to abuse the children in those communities because they know they can get away with it because poor communities don't have the, like, the parents won't have the assets and things to, like, stop that. Well, they're very they real sexual about, abuse like, that happens problems. in schools that you yeah, already exactly. hit. Yeah. And and but but that's what's so and, and it's really worrying to me though, is because 
or I see that in, that misinformation spread and more people believe it, and the 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 the, the like the instances of violence that starts popping up against LGBTQ plus people and or people who are Muslim and things like that, and the rate that it's increasing those instances, it's really scary to think about like what the next ten years are going to look like if nothing is done for something like this. Because too, it, it's it's Rebel News, but it's also Andrew Lawton. And it's also other people across Canada. It's Ben Shapiro. It's Matt Walsh. So many Canadians consume American um, media. And when I see that amount of people uh, consuming that stuff, it's very frightening. Yeah. Yep. How do how do I end with that? <laughs> <laughs> I will say there was one more piece of, uh, I guess, David Menzies interviews uh, Alexa Lavoie. And they, it's all about how, like, why she wasn't on the Emergencies Act inquiry, because after all, she was shot by a rubber bullet. So therefore, she, she should have been a witness on the commission. And I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Like, yeah, it, when... It's just wild with what what Ezra is suing for in this episode. And, like... The real just, like, helping to facilitate the narratives that, like, create a culture of stochastic violence is just, like, very, very uh, silly. It's like, do not, you do not call us misinformation spreaders as we spread misinformation that could possibly harm people is wild to me. And as Ezra calls everyone else a globalist, foreign-funded, yeah. as he calls virtually <laughs> everyone else, if it, like... <laughs> I'd say we're foreign funded like uh, well i am i i do know that one of our patreon supporters is american so <laughs> <laughs> guilty <laughs> <laughs> So normally, this is the segment where Vienno uh, promotes an article or a cause or something. And I asked if there was something that you wanted to promote. So here, Badrino, this is this is your time to shine. What <laughs> Do you have anything? I mean, you could also have nothing. That's up to you. <laughs> um, yeah, if anyone wants to follow me, I'm pretty much on every form of social media as Badrino Politics. B-U-D-R-I-N-O Politics. Rhino for Rhino Republican. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much anything. Instagram, Twitter, I'm on Facebook, everything. And But what I've been focusing on recently is uh, Twitch streaming. Padrino Politics on Twitch. I've just been doing streams whenever I have time, um, covering news, elections, and things like that. I even did a streamception the other week with Jody <laughs> where we were watching each other's streams, and it made a we whole... Did visual effects that was pretty funny it was it was postmodern um, art really <laughs> yeah <laughs> jordan peterson would hate it yeah <laughs> um, but yeah just uh Bedrino politics on twitch that's what i've been doing recently sweet i i do uh love the the Bedrino. uh i see i kept on calling it bud rhino and then you informed me that it's uh rhino yeah of, I, now, now I've like psyched myself, but but Reno, but <laughs> butter. <laughs> but 
But Budrino Bud sounds like more like, uh, you know, like you're going to stab people with a giant horn, you know? <laughs> and that's that's cool. But like, yeah, great stream. So everyone should go uh, check out uh, Budrino. And uh, Thanks. on that note, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please uh, consider giving us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash Imperial News. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams occasionally when I have the time, when there's not a giant strike happening in our province. <laughs> uh, we have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams. I already said that. We have a YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in our show notes. Uh, lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And you can actually, you know what, we... Based on things that I heard in this episode, we're setting up a new website. It's called we'resuingbudrhino.com. He's gone <laughs> too far. <laughs> Donate to our cause. We need to sink his entire career. Donate to savemadrinopolitics.com. So, no, don't listen. <laughs> don't not save. You, you, like we're suing. Go to the, go to the right website. Don't listen to this liar. <laughs> Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.